0: Okay. So I've got a guest today. Can you please pronounce your last name? I actually should have probably asked you that before I got on here, but I did not. So you can go ahead and tell me your name so I don't butcher it.
1: (laughs) So my first name is Roman. My last name is Prokopchuk. Okay. Prokopchuk.
0: Yeah, I would have butchered that Roman. I I figured out the Roman part, but I was like, yeah, I'm not even going to try to do the last names. So, okay, so you have a couple of things going on. You got a digital marketing company. You've got a podcast, and we talked a little bit before we went on air that you're also a foster parent. So, talk about definition of chaos. I have kids, and I have I have friends that are foster parents, and I I see. How chaotic their life can be just with never knowing how many kids they're getting in and how long they're going to be there. And can you kind of share with the audience just kind of a little bit about you and maybe how you got into fostering?
1: Yeah, sure. So I'm a first generation immigrant. I came to the US when I was five from Ukraine. I graduated with a degree in criminal justice uh, from Rutgers University. When the recession hit, I couldn't find a job, couldn't find anything, was depressed, got presented a in, uh, role in terms of uh, search engine optimization, which is a discipline of digital marketing. I basically learned it, said, you know, I had nothing to lose and have ran with it for the last 11 years. So I've held several director roles, you know, hundreds of campaigns found in my own agency, like you said, in 2012. I started my podcast two and a half years ago. And uh, June 1st, 2018, me and my wife became licensed foster parents. So since then, we've had 20 children the first two children we got we were kind of you know green and you know sunshine and rainbows in terms of the in-class training how things were going to be and it was a little bit of a scared straight uh, experience Uh, the first two boys we had we were told we were going to be able to adopt them so we had them for a year and then the case moved to reunification so after a year they were reunified with their biological mom, which was obviously crushing. We uh, try to have contact with her still, we haven't really seen them since then. But once in a while, she'll, you know, say, thank you, we're okay, so on and so forth. And since then, we've had 18 other children right now, with this whole, you know, pandemic thing. I've been confided within the walls of my home with four kids for the last I think, at this point, it's, Five weeks
0: count yeah, yeah I don't count. even know like what day it
1: is or whatever
0: <laughs> but yeah is.
1: a six year old a four and a half year old a two and a half year old and a two year old the four and a half year old is on the spectrum, he has a bunch of developmental delays, he has frontal lobe syndrome. if you look at him, he's kind of physically the worst uh, abuse in terms of signs that we've seen in terms of twenty kids. It looks like he was you know burned with like a torch, you know oh, he has wow. like melted skin by you know his his genital area and like on his back like marks and it's kind of i mean it's very sad and crazy because each case is different and each case is kind of frightening in their own way and uh, you know you get a child and you have to figure out how to help them how to help them feel safe and how to cope so it's like a learning experience for each child because what triggers them what makes them feel better you have to kind of relearn who that child is when you know a child is coming to several years already into development
0: I can't even imagine. I, I, I do have friends that foster. Um, I, but I've never been on ground zero of that, and I can't even imagine some of the things that you see and some of the things that you go through. Um, just wow. I mean, when you were telling me about <laughs> just about his skin being melted. I was just like, oh, my heart skipped a beat. Poor little thing. It's, it's, it's hard to imagine what can go on in a household that could cause that type of abuse. I can't even fathom that. Um, I I do have seven kids, which a lot lot of the listeners know. Um, They're all my biological children. I had considered fostering at one point in time, and then I kept having kids, and we decided that it probably wasn't the best idea for us, for our own children or the foster children, because I didn't feel like I would be able to give enough Attention to each of them, and we have a special needs child. He's on the spectrum as well. He's ten. I've shared on here before that that's its own kind of chaos. You know, you think you have this parenting thing down. I mean, by kid number five, you know, you pretty much think, okay, well, I know what to expect. Well, and then boom, you don't. With you though, you're getting fresh and new all the time, and you you have to really start from square one with every single child because they're all at different ages, different you know, developmental ages and what they have been through is going to be completely different. So I can't even imagine, I I applaud you all for that. Anybody that does foster care, I think are superheroes in my opinion. How do you manage kind of that balance? I know that's something that we talk about on here a lot too, is just that, I I always call it like the unicorn because I don't think it actually exists. But the idea that you achieve this magical work-life balance, you know, it was something that I chased for so long because I thought it existed. I thought that, well, when I got to this point, well, then I would have that perfect, you know, work-life balance. And, you know, the clouds would part and, you know, angels would sing. And it would just be perfect and harmonious. And it just, it never happened. And, you know, I just kept like chasing it. And what I've come to figure out now from for me Um, And I really think this exists for everybody is that it's not really balanced so much as um, I explain it as kind of like playing the balloon game, you know, that the balloons are in the air and the idea is you're just trying to not let them hit the ground. And, you know, so you have to choose what balloons that you let be in your balloon game, you know, and I've I get a little better at that. You know, I have less balloons in the air now than I used to. That's because I've started to be more purposeful about that. Now with you all, do you all find that you've had to kind of come to a understanding that only, you know, certain balloons using that analogy are allowed in your life or, you know, how do you all work that out?
1: Sometimes it just it feels like just (laughs) keeping everybody alive. Yeah, <laughs> to the next morning and waking up, but um, now like you said, it's not a you know a fifty fifty. You know, there's no, I don't think there's a perfect work life balance. I think it's a give and take, and it's it's based on what your priorities are. You know, right now, you know, yeah. currently. So a year ago, three years ago, it was a little different because you know we were dealing with other things. We didn't have any foster children in our home. We didn't have any other variables, so it's very situational, and you know. If it was 10 years ago, I would answer the question a little differently. But I think it's it's working around. I mean, the kids are kind of the focal point right now, and especially being quarantined because all of the visits, all of the calls that they had in person with the caseworker are going to different things. We have to facilitate it, and we have to monitor it. So we have, at minimum, seven hours a week just devoted for all these kids because it's four kids from three separate families devoted to talking to their biological parents, an hour for each. So five to six, every Monday to Friday, and then 10 to 12 on Saturdays. And that's just with the parents. Wow. Every caseworker wants a call, their specific nurses want to call, law guardians, which is kind of like they're a court appointed uh, attorneys on behalf of the children want to call, and then any other party involved. So it's just this crazy limbo in the last five weeks of that, that we kind of Position to what works for us. And then for me, like, you know, we're doing this interview, the kids are napping because I'm recording from home. Yeah. And uh, a lot of my interviews on my show and other interviews I do on other shows are revolved around that. Um, conference calls, business wise, are kind of revolved around that. And oftentimes, obviously, I can mute it when I'm not talking. So people don't want to hear kids, but. I think everybody with a child is in a similar situation right now. Oh, they are. And uh, it's, it's sacrificing stuff. So sacrificing sleep. So to catch up on stuff, you know, I may go lay down and then get up at like 10 at night, lay down at nine, take a little nap. And then from like nine to one in the morning, catch up on stuff, emails, different tasks I've had. So it's kind of a give and take. And like you said, it's what's important to you that day. And if, if those things aren't as important to you in a certain day, you can kind of maybe Delegate something out if it's like a physical thing you need to do or basically prioritize what, you know, the things that are important to you within that juggling act.
0: Well, and I think that with with all the quarantine stuff and where we've been forced to have to take a hard look at what we're doing and say, is this as important as I thought it was? And some of the funny things is like, I've spent a ridiculous amount of time on pointless meetings. Like people would say, Hey, let's meet for coffee or Hey, you know, let's grab a cocktail or, you know, whatever. And it's not that those things are bad, but if you look at an entire week, again, I'm busy. I have several businesses. We live on a farm. I have a thousand kids. It feels like a thousand most days. So, I mean, I, my plate is very full. The idea that I don't have to, because I would always feel bad, you know, it has be like, I'd be like, oh, I said no the last three times and yeah, I better say yes this time. But then, you know, it would take away from all the other things that I needed to do right now that ex- if there's an excuse for me. So I've actually found that I've been able to be so much more purposeful and I've been calling it the great pause, you know, because we've all been forced to just kind of pause and think about our life, think about our business, think about, you know, our relationships and be a little bit more purposeful on what we are allowing to take our time. And, you know, some of the things we do not have control over. I mean, you know, that my kids, I am convinced that they were like given tapeworms before they left school and got quarantined because they that's all they do is eat all day long. Yep. So for the time that I wake up, from the, the, the time that they pass out at night, it's like, that's all I feel like I do is, is cook. So obviously I don't have a, you know, I don't have a choice in the matter on that kind of stuff, but I do have a choice in the matter to say, okay, well, you know, this doesn't get any more of my time or is this really that important or is that really that important? And I think, I think that that is some, something good that may come out of this quarantine. If I don't pull my hair out from like, I am not a homeschool mom <laughs> I, am not. I i i tried that years ago I, I i was joking with somebody the other day because they, she was like i always thought homeschooling would be amazing i was like no as, so, as soon as i found out that we were homeschooling my my ptsd kind of like reared its ugly head again because i tried it years back whenever uh my son the one that's autistic when he was starting into school i decided i was going to just homeschool all the kids you know one big happy family and I got on Pinterest and I tell people all the time that, you know, Pinterest will screw up if you let it. And, you know, I started making all these like boards on, yeah, I'm going to be this like homeschool mom. This is the person that I want to be. I want to be this homeschool mom. We're going to go on field trips and we're going to do all this stuff. And I made all my boards and the reality of it was so not Pinterest worthy. It was terrible. It was awful. So, I mean, I knew what I was getting into. I know my children, my children are a lot like their mother. They're stubborn. They're pig headed and they didn't want to do anything that I was wanting them to do. And so whenever this kind of came up that we were going to be homeschooling again, I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't do this again. So, yeah, I knew what I was getting into. It was, it's been bad. Now, are you having to do the homeschool thing or any of your kids in school?
1: Well, that's uh, something that uh, is left to my wife. Uh, oh, yeah. She's not very uh, enthusiastic about it at this point. But yeah. Um, yeah, the older one, uh, the six-year-old, is in kindergarten. So right now they're actually on spring break, which is like whatever. They could have just skipped it and yeah, maybe right. finished. But it's it's. I mean, it's a weird limbo in terms of like switching over to all like a virtual format. Apparently, at his school, kindergartners all have a um, a Chromebook. So he has wow. his own laptop that we had to pick up at his school, and he you know goes on at a certain time and does his curriculum on there. But it's like, then you have to entertain or figure out what to do with three other kids. So it's like, if you have multiple kids, one, if they're all in different grades, okay, they're sitting doing their stuff. But when some kids are in school and some kids, you know, were in preschool prior to this, it's this chaotic, you know, experience. Plus my wife pivoted career. So she's actually graduating after the semester with a degree in education, but now five of her courses move virtually. So now she's juggling her virtual classes and all her work with, you know, the homeschool and then watching them. Luckily, like, I'm not gonna lie, she's doing majority like the brunt of the stuff around the house. And you know, I'm I'm thankful for it. And kind of weekends are her time to do her work. And then I have to kind of pause and, and help out with the kids more. It's crazy. Um, you know, doing it for a short time, maybe, but I think I've, I've found a newfound respect for uh, teachers through this.
0: Oh, yeah. Me too. That's I emailed a couple of teachers and I'm like, okay, y'all are getting better gifts next year because <laughs> you, I can't do this. I'm like, I can't do this. And like you said, multiple kids having to do school. And we live in a rural area. So our internet is not the best. So, I mean, you can't be streaming multiple things at the same time. We have the devices as the devices is not the problem. It's the, the bandwidth. <laughs> we don't have that out here. And um, I actually had to buy a separate hotspot to be able to run my podcast stuff on because I couldn't even run it well out here. So it's, it's just been, yeah, it's, and I think that, I mean, those are, we always say like third world problems, you know, is that like the worst thing that ever happened? No. I mean, is it that big of a deal? No. And I was stressing myself out and pulling my hair out. And I admit being cranky with the kids, like, Oh my gosh, just get this done, you know, please. You know, And then I was like, why am I doing that? Why am I stressing myself out? Why am I stressing them out? And finally, I emailed all the teachers. I said, listen, we do not have very good internet out here, number one. We have a lot of children. I'm juggling my business from home, too, so they will turn it in. I just can't assure you that it's going to be turned in on your timeline. And actually, surprisingly, all but one teacher was okay with that. And that one teacher is just going to have to wait because, you know, you can only do what you can do. And I think that is, I mean, I think, I think most people understand that, but, you know, I do think that that is, again, some of the lessons that can come from this is we're all in such a hurry. we you know, and I, for what, you know, it's, and a lot of the work that they do in school and it's nothing against the teachers. They're just doing what they're asked to do. But a lot of the work they do in school is just busy work. I've looked at some of the stuff. I'm like, okay, well, you just did this. Ten times, like, what is the point of doing this ten times? You know, and I mean, I realize children learn by repetition, but some of it's just overkill. And I don't think there's enough emphasis put on just kind of common sense learning, or you know, every day. Like, we the kids are actually out there. I can see them out my window. I'm sitting in my bedroom right now, and they're out on the back porch and they're planting seeds. And we talk about the seeds, we talk about how they grow and, you know, just those are lessons, you know, I think that sometimes we overlook just the simplicity and because we've come in such a busy society and I, trust me, I love my electronics and I love, you know, a lot of the conveniences that we have, but there is something about the simplicity that I think a lot of us have kind of forgotten because we just are in such a hurry.
1: Yeah, and I think there's like you said, that third world, first world problems. Obviously, the the first world thing, the the Wi-Fi is imperative now in terms of working in school from home. So that mm-hmm. kind of stepped up value. But like I said, originally I'm from Ukraine. Uh, when we left uh, in 1990, I came to America when I was five. It was still under the Soviet Union, so I have memories of things like you know uh, hot water being shut off at night or waiting. Online for a few hours to get a certain food because it was out, things like that. So, like, stuff like the inconvenience factor doesn't phase me uh, of this situation, but situations like this make you appreciate your freedoms more and kind of your close relationships. I think that happens with uh, loss or, you know, health issues too, in terms of like putting things in perspective. And I think it's important when this ends, not to kind of forget about it, but implement some of the things and the feelings we have into our everyday lives moving forward.
0: I agree. I'm assuming that English is not your first language then, or did your family speak English primarily?
1: Nope. I came here. Um, I went to ESL, uh, came here and went into kindergarten, did not know a word of English. And uh, basically if you come to the United States, you get put in a class called English second language Okay basically, stay in it until you test out, so I believe end of first grade, I was you know proficient enough and uh, in terms of kind of brain development, if you learn another language or languages before a certain age, you mm-hmm. don 't carry over an accent so if yeah. I came to the u s when I was let 's say a teenager, I would still have a noticeable accent, even though my verbiage would be very clear, and you know the sentence structure and everything in the phonetics, but I would still carry that accent over, so because I came here when I was five, I learned English, but primarily language is Ukrainian. I can speak Russian, understand Polish and kind of other uh, Slavic dialects as well.
0: yeah, I have some friends that are from Ukraine, and they yeah they're primarily um they speak Russian primarily. I don't really know what part they were from but their accent they came over when they were like you said a teenager and their accent is is you know noticeable that's the reason I noticed that you do not have even just a hint I've been listening for a hint of an accent but that makes sense kids are like sponges when they're that young um you know, just watching how they learn is just, is crazy. I think that, again, the the pressures that we put on some kids to, you know, you must learn this and you must learn that. If you just kind of leave them alone and, and give them things to learn, I think that we would be amazed at what all they would actually be able to do. So, yeah. I think
1: there's education structures also. I know I saw a school where I'm at, I'm in New Jersey right now, like 45 minutes. I'm in the central point of this, like, I don't know, I guess it's called the tri-state area. Mm-hmm. So I'm about 45, 50 minutes from New York City driving, 45 minutes from Philadelphia, and about 45 minutes from the uh, Jersey Shore. Okay. So like an epicenter type thing. But I actually saw an ad for a school where it's like a very non-traditional school where the kids choose their own curriculum. And kind yeah. of learn what they want to learn. I mean, I, I think there still should be a level of structure, like you learn your basics in terms of yeah. functioning as a productive, you know, human or, or being molded into an adult. But I think a big core of a curriculum should just be like exploratory or learning the things you're passionate about, so you can actually move into that and have a better chance of doing, I guess, what you love when you, uh, you know, become an adult.
0: I agree with you on that. I've I've said that as well. Just give them the basic core understanding of everything they need to know, and then give them, you know, how do you balance a checkbook? How do you take care of finances? Just adulting, just literally call the class adulting, you know, and give them the skills they they need. And then everything else can just be based on what they're interested in or what they want to do or think they want to do. Because some of the stuff, you know, I look back at some of the classes that I took in school and they were, I mean, for me, they were pointless because I don't remember them. I've never needed them. I will never need them. I could have spent that time and energy on something that would have kind of fulfilled me a little more. I think that that's a, I didn't know that they had schools like that at at this point. That's pretty awesome. I like that. And I think that's why a lot of parents choose to homeschool now is because they're able to choose you know, kind of based on that same idea. I just don't have the patience for it. I admit that. (laughs) I just can't do it. It's not for me.
1: (laughs) Yeah. But if you think about it, like if it was 20 years ago, obviously the internet was in its infancy. So Mm -hmm. uh, having a knowledge base within somebody's own brain, that was valuable. Now you can just focus on, you know, consuming and retaining what you want because everything else, you can just simply, you know, do a Google search and come to that same realization as fast as somebody that's, you know, holding that information in their brain. So I think that became a little less valuable. And, you know, from what I even remember, college that I was, you know, 2003 to 2007, 2008, I mean, most of school is memorization. And then when you remember it or memorize it for the exam, you know, you do the exam and then forget you know ninety percent of it, so what is oh, yeah. the value in that
0: yeah and and I think that if it's something that you are passionate about you re- I feel like you retain it more because and I've found that with myself, you know the things that I'm super passionate about, I can learn it and read it and understand it, and I do retain it. The things that I'm learning because I have to learn it for whatever reason. I have to constantly kind of read up on if it's something that I have to, you know, maintain knowledge on because, you know, it's just not something that I enjoy doing. So it's not something that kind of sticks in my mind. I, you know, my mind's like, eh, we don't need this. <laughs> you know? So as far as kind of go, going back, just kind of to the idea of, of chaos, um, we tend to go through different times and I, I kind of mentioned um, before we got on the air just about chaos and you were sharing that, you know, you had been through just a lot of personal grief in the past. Do you think that grief, do you think that that affected your, your business? Um, Cause there's a lot of things that we talk about with different guests on here, just about um, the chaos and about how, You know, that they were they were faced with different times in their life that they had to really pull and pull lessons from. Do you feel that going through the grief that do you feel that that kind of led you to where you're at now in any way?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's harnessing something negative, learning, taking those learnings and utilizing them. To currently do what you're doing or prepare you for the next thing that might be even harder. So I'm not saying just skip like a grieving process or, you know, skip or forget the emotion and, you know, the the event as a whole. So last um, February or February 2019, my grandfather passed away. And uh, obviously I went through the normal grieving process, but then thinking back that, you know, he told me that he was proud of me in terms of, you know, being a foster dad and taking care of kids that weren't even my own and showing them love, hopefully impacting them to go into society and remembering that regardless of what situation they go back to. And the fact, the stuff that I did professionally, that kind of carried me over. And and I think in, in the back of your mind, you should think, what you should do and, and kind of the positive focus you should take to really honor your loved ones. So I thought to myself, would he really want me to just sit there and feel bad for myself or just reminisce that he's not there what, what I could have done to, you know, keep him around more or the times that I wanted to, you know, talk to him or spend time with him that, you know, I didn't take that opportunity, but kind of reflecting on all those good things and then honoring his memory with pursuing and doing the best as I could with the resources that I'm given. Because in the United States, oftentimes people take for granted our freedoms and the freedom of the economy in terms of if you really want to do something, you can figure out a way in the United States to get to where you want to go. Obviously, the variables we're dealt are different. You know, you may come into an impoverished situation or have things happen to you that you don't control, but not kind of feeling bad for yourself, taking that and harnessing it. And, and I think now that those things have happened, like we talked off air in the last three years, me and my wife have experienced five miscarriages as well, and uh, other you know losses in our family, and other sicknesses and things of that nature. And I think taking that, harnessing it, and 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 making you more. Kind of adapt for kind of the storms to come, so right now i'm I'm going extra i guess hard in terms of business networking, the podcast, interviews, and taking advantage of this situation instead of sitting there kind of in fear what will happen next, but kind of preparing myself when we do come out of it, so i 'm the one that's kind of standing higher than my competitors based on all the work and i'm putting in and you know, staying with that positive mindset. Obviously, people that tell you, you know, I'm positive all the time or I'm motivated—that's not accurate. Or things you see on social media. I have to constantly, every day, kind of push myself to get in the mindset of doing as much as I can do to get to my desired goals.
0: Well, and I think that we're all like that. As far as you know, we always show our best on social media. You know, it's constantly the highlight reels. What I always say all the time. And I know especially from a woman's standpoint, I've never been a guy before, so I don't know how, you know, you guys think on it, but from a, from a female standpoint, I know women are really bad about looking at those highlight reels and saying, oh, you know, their marriage is like this, or, oh, you know, look at her house, or, oh, she looks so thin, or, oh, why is she so pretty, or, oh, this, that, or the other, and that comparison can just rob you of all the joys in your life. And the funny thing about that is if you kind of talk to other women, they're doing the exact same thing about you. You know, and I have a wellness company on the side that we literally focus on wellness. Um, I used to be a personal trainer years ago, and so it was very much more fitness-based. And, you know, I still believe in, you know, fitness and staying healthy and everything. But my mindset has changed a lot on that just because I think people get so hung up in the numbers on the scale or the size on the tag. And I can tell you, and I tell this to everybody that I work with on that level, heavy doesn't mean well and skinny and light doesn't mean, um, sick, you know, or then vice versa, you know, we, the size does not make a difference on how healthy you are or, or not. It doesn't, you know, every, we are all made to be I'm different sizes. And I can remember back years ago I was working for a gym and I had this lady come into me and you know, she was wanting to lose weight and, you know, get healthy and fit and that was fine. But her she brought in these these pants and that was her goal. She wanted to fit into these pants. Well, first of all, they were like a size zero. And I told her, I said, Okay, can I ask you, why do you want to fit in these pants? Because Most people cannot fit into a size zero. I was like, you're a bone structure. You could be a skeleton. You could have nothing on you and you're not going to fit into a size zero. I could be a skeleton. I would never fit into a size zero. My bone structure will not do that. Why is it that you're wanting to fit into that? And she didn't know why she had no answer for that. And it's just, that's the mentality. A lot of times of women is that they have to reach that goal or reach that goal. And I think that's probably similar, maybe not so much with the size pants with men, but and um, I'd, I'd say it's the same as far as like men looking at, you know, probably maybe work related things and saying, oh, well, he's reached this goal. Why am I not there? You know, I'd, I'd say that you could look at, you know, both sides and pick those things out. But those things are the highlight reels. You know, you're not seeing the behind the scenes. You're not seeing the fact that, yeah, that picture of her house looks amazing. But outside of that picture, it looks like a train wreck because the kids have been running around throwing stuff everywhere all day. She just like cleaned the one little area up so she could take that picture or yeah, she might look wonderful in that picture, but, you know, she, she has a filter on or, you know, or, you know, yeah, he may have just put on there that he just got this amazing promotion, but, you know, he's in the middle of a divorce because he's never home. You know, it's just, we're not looking at the behind the scenes things. And it's not necessarily that any of those things are necessarily bad or wrong in themselves, but you have to look and say, number one, is, is this, a goal that i i want and if so why is it because somebody else said that i should have it or i just think that i should or you know why is that a goal and i mean you can put that in a place for work health you know whatever and another thing is what is it going to take for me to get there and am i willing to kind of go through that because there's negatives on anything you do you know every positive has a negative i mean it just that's how it goes and there's only so many hours in a day And, you know, I think that when we think of it, that every hour that we have in our life, we're, we're almost selling our hours. You know, I told, I was talking to somebody the other day, just about, I'm coaching her a little bit and She's still working her job. She started her business and which to me, you started a business, you know, those early years are like, oh my gosh, what did I do? She's not sure about if she should quit her job or not. And I asked her, I said, okay, well, so look at it this way. I said, I can't tell you whether to quit or not. I don't know your exact financial situation. I said, one thing that changed my mindset years ago, and I cannot even remember for the life of me who said this to me, but it stuck with me is that we are literally selling hours of our life. So when we look at it like that, you know, whenever you say, oh, I'm making, you know, $30 an hour, you know, it doesn't sound the same as when you say I sell uh, an hour of my life for $30 an hour. You have to make sure that, yes, it's, you have to meet your responsibilities and stuff. You have to make sure that those hours still mean something. So my goal is to make sure that those hours mean something more than the dollars. You know what I mean? Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. And I think, I I guess they say uh, like true wealth is separating that time dependency on that kind of hourly rate. So obviously having investments and things like that, I guess they, they say that, uh, you know, when you're sleeping that, you know, money is, is being made kind of getting to a situation where that's kind of on uh, cruise control and separating your time from the, the amount that you can basically earn.
0: Yeah, definitely. So do you find that with, um, I guess, with the guys uh, that they kind of do, like I was saying before, about really comparing themselves on the highlight reels of social media? Or is that pretty much just like a female thing?
1: Um, I guess that's kind of a a branding thing. There's like a a lot of fake experts on social and in general. I think a lot of people read a course, take a course, and then automatically, you know, define themselves as an expert in that. You know specific subject matter, yeah, I think that's kind of the wrong way to take it, and then they you know develop branding or find a, a branding strategist that portrays the picture and imagery and videos of them living that lifestyle or being that expert but I mean that that is very faulty because if you are like a real expert and you see somebody's profile you know that, you know, they're being nonsensical or, you know, bullshitting about it because they'll fool the people that are like looking for something or looking for hope or looking to, you know, become or make money quick, that kind of like get rich quick kind of scheme. Uh But um, if you are a true expert, you can pretty much spot somebody else. So in terms of digital marketing, if you have a conversation with somebody in the first five minutes, I know where you are, you know, at your, in terms of your career. So I mean there are those comparisons like natural comparisons in terms of uh I guess competition but I think when you switch a mindset to being in competition with yourself and just trying to be better day after day in terms of like what you're learning how you're redefining yourself and keeping a healthy balance and taking it away from you know all these people are running their own races why are they ahead of me well like you said the variables are different maybe they have family money maybe Mm -hmm. they were just dealt an opportunity the stars aligned and they met the right person that basically pivoted them or you know jumped them or leapfrogged them to a position where they are now in terms of bypassing maybe five years of work that they may have not you know had to do so i mean it's all situational and you know we should really run our own races
0: i know with with a lot of people, you mentioned, um, you know, money, a lot of people that I know have bootstrapped their business, me included, <laughs> you know, I've bootstrapped every business that I've had. And I mean, I think that whenever you, I, I guess, I guess I, maybe some people would still appreciate it, but I feel like I appreciate my business much more because I have been through the tough times. I have had to make make conscious decisions with every single thing that I did within my business because I couldn't afford not to. And I, you know, I know, you know, with a lot of people that I've worked with in the different businesses that I have, you know, they've they've been the same way, but there are a few businesses that they, you know, they've inherited the business and you know, I've never had those conversations with them to see if they think that, that same way that I do. Now, With your digital marketing company, you said you do mainly SEO. So do you uh, create websites or do you work with their existing website?
1: Yeah, that's a a secondary, like web design, web development, yes, but mainly kind of core focuses, search engine optimization, organic social, paid social, paid search, online uh, reputation management, content strategy, kind of overall tactical planning, but Website and design are a component, but those are kind of the core because, I mean, every agency has what their strengths are. Our strengths are those digital marketing components. Yes, we can do design and development, but I'm not going to lie to somebody like that's our bread and butter or what we're award-winning at. Um, Some agencies or brand strategists, strategists or consultants may claim that they're the best at everything. Well, I mean, personally, I mean, in my opinion, you can't be the best at everything to have a core competency and everything else you can know somewhat proficiently, but you should be good or great at, you know, at least one thing.
0: And that's, I, I agree 100%. I think it's the same way, even, um, with us personally, you know, I used to, uh, make this statement all the time that I was great at being able to multitask. And I looked at that as such an awesome thing until I heard a podcaster one time say, Pretty much the same thing that she used to consider herself an awesome multitasker until she figured out that multitasking just meant that she was doing lots of things shitty at the same time. <laughs> so she said, you know, doesn't mean you can't be good at lots of things or have lots of things going on. But at that second, that very second, there's no, no way that you can be doing more than one thing effectively. So she said, you have to stop that and then do the next thing and then do the next thing. And I thought that was very profound because you're right. Within our our businesses, especially, we cannot be experts at it all. We can be proficient or, you know, competent to be able to handle certain aspects. But I know with our, um, I have a consulting company and we have a marketing company. You know, we have our one thing that we do amazing. And the other things, we actually work with other companies Because we know that we can't do it all ourselves and we don't even want to try. You know, what's the name of your digital marketing company? If somebody was interested in figuring out more about it.
1: It's called Nova Zora Digital, N-O-V-A-Z-O-R-A, digital.
0: Uh, Okay. That's pretty awesome. And do you mainly work with uh, mid-sized businesses, large businesses or... Small,
1: large, and small. I mean, okay. uh, there's experience with farm and life sciences, fitness, legal, financial. Um, so clients like KPMG, a lot of pharmaceutical companies in terms of their social media strategies. Uh, different small, medium, and large size law firms around the uh, the country. A lot of which have uh, uh, verdicts and you know n- nine figures, eight or nine figures historic uh, verdicts. One. So a lot, of, a lot of stuff like that, but in me personally, if somebody reaches out or asks a question or, you know, direct messages, me personally on social media, I'm more than happy to, you know, answer or give pointers. I mean, I've done a lot of kind of pro bono work as well, too, with some uh, nonprofits. So basically defining some strategies for them, uh, helping them promote charitable events, basically free of charge. So, I mean, I try to give back as much as possible in in that sense in my kind of expertise as well.
0: That's awesome. And what about your podcast? Can you tell us a little bit about your podcast?
1: Yeah. So, it started December, I guess, what, 2017, and it was just me kind of like messing around because I wanted to start. So, if you start with episode one, you can see how the quality improved from one to you know 161 episodes live now which hopefully you see the quality improvement and then when my grandfather passed away last february like i said i think as one of my coping mechanisms i switched over to an interview format which yeah. kind of helped me just you know talk to other people hear other people's perspectives some of which have dealt with loss and other things which kind of helped me cope indirectly when i look back at it so i switched over to a interview format last march and since last march I've interviewed uh, 150 people around in terms of uh, startup founders, CEOs, all, uh, authors, former athletes about you know what it was like or what their journeys were to now, some of the things they've overcame, some of the obstacles they've dealt with, what motivates them, kind of what makes them tick, weaknesses they've turned into strengths, and some of the advice they have for the audience. So uh, in the last few months, it's, it's you know, started ranking and, and, you know, there's been a lot of buzz. I mean, uh, I guess a month ago, it surpassed uh, 100k plays and downloads, which is nice. So it, I'm starting to, you know, what once was a hobby and just a passion project, I'm trying to figure out how to scale it even more at this point.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. I know with this podcast, I never, I never meant to be a podcaster. I know I had somebody ask me, I was, I was on somebody else's podcast. So like, did you ever always ever want to be a a podcaster? I was like, no, I never, you, if you would have asked me even two years ago, I would have been like, no, why do I want to, why do I want to do that? (laughs) Um, It just kind of was, I'm an accidental podcaster and You know, at first I wasn't going to do it because, you know, I, I never took any classes in podcasting and yeah, I've got a a background in marketing, but that is not the same thing as podcasting. Um, it, I didn't know how to do a lot of the specifics on it and, you know, I wasn't planning on it being a moneymaker. So I'm like, I'm not going to hire a bunch of people to run this podcast and I'm just like spending money on it. it just seemed silly to me, but I ended up doing it just because, I I was doing live speaking events and I was talking to people about, you know, just the chaos of, of, of life and how, you know, we needed to take off our masks and we needed to be our true self and the benefits of being raw and real with people. And, you know, I was getting so much good feedback from that and multiple people were saying, you know, you need to start a podcast, you need to start a podcast. And finally I was like, well, I'll just start it myself. You know, I don't want to spend a whole bunch of money on something that's just like you said, a hobby. But I do want to help people because, you know, even if I just help, you know, one person that makes it worth my time. And I've found that I actually enjoy doing it. Um, You know, some of my episodes are more profound than others, but I do enjoy being able to bring people on such as yourself to be able to give other viewpoints, to be able to share their stories. Like you said, their journeys to be able to say, you know, we went through this rough patch, but you know, I'm okay now. Or, you know, I've, I've shared a lot of my own personal struggles. I, I, I lost my grandparents. It's, it was 2018. Um, I had three grandparents left and in, in a six weeks period of time, they were all gone. It really, really affected me. And I didn't realize how much until a year later, because, you know, my whole life was crumbling apart because I wasn't dealing with my grief on it. And I think again, sometimes by not dealing with stuff, by not saying stuff, we can be harming ourselves far more than if we just, we were raw and we were real with ourselves, and, and saying, yeah, I'm having a rough time right now. And that's kind of what started this whole thing. Just the idea that I I felt like I had to shove everything away. I couldn't say I'm having a rough time right now. I had to shove it away and not feel because I had to show up professional at my job or I had to, you know, I, I I felt that need and until I couldn't do it anymore. And, you know, there's a lot of people that have reached out to me through, you know, through email or, you know, after I've done live events and told me that, you know, they too felt like they were just wearing a mask. You shared with me before we went on air that you... Used to work for another, you know, company before you went out on your own. Was there a a specific reason that you decided to kind of go out on your own, or was it just something you've always wanted to do?
1: I don't know if it was uh, something I wanted to do. I think uh, the mind, there's mindset shifts throughout your life, or at least hopefully when you start growing as a person. So in my, you know, early to mid twenties, it was more so. You know, get a corporate job, get a, you know, a corner office or whatever, get as many promotions as I can, bonuses and all that. And then when I unexpectedly got into uh, the digital marketing field as a result of the 2008 recession, at that role, um, I, I started at a company. Uh, the the person that basically presented an opportunity to me at the gym basically said, "Come outside, you know. I think there's something that may help you." Which is obviously a sketchy way to begin the story. Is kind of like a movie. Like I, he opened up his trunk, he gave me a yeah. packet about search and optimization. So it could be anything. He could have gave me, a, you know, a kilo of, of cocaine and said, "Hey, go go sell this for me." But uh, basically, it was a packet, 50, 50 pages or so, and he said go online and you know take a month or two and learn it. So for him I worked for his company about 2 to 3 months and then they kind of ran out of funds so he said put your resume out if somebody picks you up you know go by all means. So I did that and a company called Lexus hired me as a contractor and I was there. Their their department or their marketing department was was very big so there's a lot of people my age getting into it and a lot of ambitious people that you know it was it was a good kind of Incubator for me, learning as much as I could in terms of uh, you know digital marketing disciplines, and I had a lot of campaigns to test on and stuff like that. So I, I really advocate if you're finding a digital marketing professional or an agency that those people are in generalists, like quote unquote. I hate the term guru, like yeah. somebody that you know reads or looks at a course and then just mimics it. Somebody that's actually did things, were was in the trenches and has actionable results. So from that, there were a lot of people kind of moving on to next roles, uh, different agencies going on freelance. So I've I developed a lot of friendships in that sense. And all these people are in different places. So they started starting kind of their own businesses. And then I thought to myself, why not me? So initially, it was a, it was a shift where I was still working at other roles. And then when I got home and six to 12, I was building my own business. And the structure of the company has always stayed in terms of remote which is very beneficial now. So a lot of people are trying to digitally transform in, in terms of a lot of corporations and Fortune 500 companies are forced now to you know trust their employees and their whole workforce mm-hmm. is at home. So I moved to that. And then there was a lot of relationship building. So like you said, you work with other agencies. So those people knew my results in terms of uh, search engine optimization and social media and paid search. And then they basically said, I have this client, I'm building out a, you know, a, a scope and a proposal, how much would it cost for you and your agency to do this component of it? Yeah. So, you know, I would quote them and then basically I would in turn work with that agency, the client paid that agency, and then that agency or that person paid you know my, my company. So that's how it kind of developed. And then it branched out in terms of word of mouth, a lot of leads coming from, you know, search engine optimization and uh, online sources. And that's kind of how it it began and how it kind of uh, started and basically since 2012 ran with it.
0: I think it's funny. A lot of people's stories kind of are similar as um, at the very beginning saying, well, I went to school and then, you know, I, I graduated and I went to college. And then, you know, my goal was to get the job, to have the corner office, the great house, the car. And um, my story is similar. You know, that was, that was what I thought you had. It was like, almost like I I thought life was just these boxes that you just went through and checked off I honestly never knew um, growing up never knew anybody that owned their own business um, close and personally, so I never thought about owning my own business because to me, I thought well that 's something you do later after you 've checked all your boxes off and you 've made enough money that you can afford to you know start your own business. It never occurred to me that you can just start your own business. Like I teach some classes here on there, on different things. And one of of my most popular classes ever has been starting a business with no working capital. And the reason is, is because people are still curious about how to do that because, you know, I didn't go get a loan. I didn't have mega money sitting there to be able to start any of my businesses with. Um, I started it with pretty much just what was, you know, what was, the, um, secretary of state fees and, you know, enough to be able to start just my own little crappy website and, you know, and it kind of grew from there. So there are ways, I mean, great. If you got the money to be able to sink in to, you know, do it, you know, big or go home, that's great. But a lot of people do not. A lot of us have had to, like I said before, bootstrap, you know, our businesses and, you know, I, I made a lot of mistakes at the very beginning because I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I, I was, I spent a lot of money on things that, you know, in retrospect, I didn't really need. Um, And I think a lot of that was because, you know, I had worked corporate. So I, whenever I started my business, I didn't look at it like, okay, I'm starting this small business. I looked at it as, as I was mimicking corporate, <laughs> you know, so, and it was, it's so funny and silly looking back now that that was my mindset, but I did not understand all the things that I understand now. You know, I say all the time, you know, you don't know what you don't know and you don't, um, is there some business mistakes maybe that you made early on that, um, You could, you wish you could kind of go back and tell yourself, no, don't do that. You know, because you never know who's listening. It may be somebody that's getting ready to do that same exact thing.
1: (laughs) I think getting things in writing is is a simple one that's important. And don't kind of um, underestimate or overvalue uh, using people that you are close friends with or family with. Because sometimes, in terms of incorporating family members and friends in your business, You have to draw a line where that friendship and that family relationship ends and where that kind of professional side, uh, you know, starts. Sometimes you need to fire family members. Sometimes you have to reprimand family members. A lot of the time, things of that nature, if you don't set uh, parameters to begin with, it can really you know, splinter a relationship moving forward. And, you know, to begin with, I, I've done a lot of things like bartering with other agencies, too. So, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll put in uh, my agency will put in 20 hours of like a, a website audit and in return, you know, uh, you know, I, I need a, a, a website built that's close to that amount in terms of compensation for a client. And Uh basically that's done by either a handshake or agreement. And then that work is done up front. And then you just wait and the people just disappear. So I think it's uh, trusting people, but being cautious, um, especially in business, because there's a lot of people in business that don't have good intentions or aren't genuine in terms of like what they bring to the table.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Especially on like social media. So like LinkedIn, you see a million people just trying to like hit you. I mean, I have, 23,000 connections on LinkedIn and every day it's like, do you want to grow your business more? We can get you a hundred qualified leads. And it's like 10 people, a hundred, a thousand qualified leads. I mean, and I don't know where you guys are getting these leads from, but like the pool isn't that big for what you're actually proposing. So it's, I mean, it's a nonsense scripted thing. And I think it's just being a a good uh, judge of character and having a kind of emotional IQ and building it up over time because those kind of like, uh, you know, you losing hope in certain people or different business relationships, because, you know, you will go through things where, you know, people kind of screw you over in terms of money, or you start having a lawsuit or things of that nature. And it's really like understanding or trusting the right people or getting to a point where you can really judge a situation as best as you could judge it.
0: That's good. I like that. I think that's good advice. And it's, it's something that I made the mistake of early on. Um, it's funny because I'm either too trusting or I don't trust you at all. It's like there's 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 no in-between with me naturally. It's like, okay, I don't trust you at all. Or like, I'm your best friend. You know, it's, there's no gray area with me. So I had to get to the point that I was getting things in writing. I think that's a good one. I think that's a mistake that a lot of um, business, inexperienced business owners do early on. You know, I would get... You know specific things contracted, but if it was somebody I knew and with, I've bartered in the past too, and we bartered something out, I didn't get that in writing. I just kind of went with the idea that we were both were going to be honest, and I got you know bit in the butt on that more than one time. So I mean, I think that you're correct on establishing those parameters and those boundaries, and I think that's important. Um, With everything, you know, establish your boundaries with any type of business relationship and personal relationships, I think is important, because, you know, if you think about most problems arise because of a cross of your boundaries in one way or another, and if you've not clearly defined what those boundaries are, you know, um, that could be very confusing to the other people. So I think that that's really, really good advice. Um, something that I like to ask uh, my guests that come on sometimes is, you know, if you could go back and you can tell your yourself, your younger self, um, three things, you know, what would that be?
1: Develop a emotional IQ and uh, empathy faster than I did in terms of like going back and and reacting to certain business situations a lot differently than I do now that, you know, in the past you may have gotten, you know, more hot headed or just not understood where someone was coming from. But they may be dealing with all these other things that are impacting that, you know, loaded email or that tone or that, you know passive aggressive nature. So figuring that out and I think taking emotion also out of business decisions. I actually had a guest on, he's like a uh, he, a, a disaster avoidance specialist. He's a, a doctor, oh, wow. basically mm-hmm. Fortune 500s hire him and he coaches executives how to make business decisions that aren't really triggered or driven by emotion, either positive or negative. So I think when you take that emotion out of the equation and truly make the right decision for that situation, you can propel your business and really avoid a lot of things in terms of heartaches and, you know, possible money loss, lawsuits and things of that nature. So I think that's really important. That's a takeaway I got from that specific episode. Yeah. And then the other thing, just having the right people around you and developing that inner circle as close as possible. I think, In college, my circle was a lot bigger in terms of friends and even kind of distant family. But people that are truly in your life that are toxic and kind of bring the wrong energy and are there for ulterior motives, you can still have love and kind of caring for that person, but taking them out to a certain extent and moving them outside of that circle, I guess, of impact to not have them drag you down or keep you to a certain level and surrounding yourself with the right people and the right people in terms of like-minded individuals and also individuals that, you know, inspire you and are at a position where you're looking to get, because if you surround yourself with all, you know, hungry people, your age in the same seat, that's all great, but you need people of different mindsets, different walks of life and people that, maybe at a place where they're five years where you want to be 10 years to, to truly help you. And, and you should obviously offer something in return in terms of added value or be a resource for those people as well. But, you know, create an inner circle that really enhances and support what you're trying to do in life.
0: I like that. That's, that's good stuff. They exclamated LA Times. I stay on page six. I'm even your favorite's favorite <laughs> You better, better tell them who's a boss, me. You better, better tell them who's a boss, see. You better, better show them who's a the boss. They don't stop and all when they see me pull up looking flossy. You better, better tell them who's a boss, me.